There were times during the debate that I thought that the most effective being on that stage to go after Vice President Pence was that fly that landed on his head. <laughs> the big star of the debate tonight was a fly that landed quite symbolically on the Vice President's head. I assume the fly thought he was a light bulb and was attracted to his... It stayed on his head for two minutes and three seconds. <laughs> Technically, that fly is now his running mate, but anyway... Why was that symbolic? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because of the joke LeBron made. Okay. Flies land often, Jack, on used food. Okay. Um, uh, and the fly what, has like a, leftovers. The fly has a no. A fly has a Twitter account. Sean Poo Poo Sean. The fly has a Twitter account. Yes. Okay. Come course, on now. Of course it does. Within seconds. Anyway, there was a debate yeah. last night that will not change a vote in the country. Play me clip 19, Sean. Why are you holding out on me? I mean, I don't think it's ever a good sign when a fly lands on your head for two minutes. You know, that's a that's a sign all through history of sin and historically, biblically. <laughs> oh, uh, maybe you wouldn't normally say this after uh, you wouldn't. It's only safe to say this, sorry, after midnight. But, you know, the a fly, he who commands the fly has always been seen historically as the mark of the devil. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Biden, the devil, sent a fly on to Pence to Ooh, soil him. Good spin. I like that. Yes, clearly. It's either that or it was Chairman Xi's uh, fly drone. Biden and Harris soft on the communist Chinese for decades. Yeah, so that has been confirmed that in China, they cut the uh, feed when Pence was talking about China being responsible for this or that and uh, then went back to it when she was talking. So, Yeah. Uh, of course, her job was to make no news out of the debate. That was the job she was given. Correct. And she didn't make much. Which was, yeah, again, the goal. It was refreshingly annoying that it was much more conventional politics last night. It was refreshingly boring. I, I was yeah. bored while I was watching some of it, but it, I recognize that that's probably a good thing. Like, your your kid would have hated last night's debate. But, but you it, know you know how we got to Trump, though, was, was decades of that. Correct. Talking like this, but never saying anything, both of them. And people got Lies, obfusc- obfuscation, dodging. Yeah, so, you know, uh, what what the answer is to that, but... That's that's not good either. <laughs> well, I, I, I surely there's something else. Well, you make an excellent point because it was incredibly unsatisfying if you were a person who wanted a, a serious examination of the difference of views, the difference in policies, the sins of one side ought to be aired out. Let's hear your defense, huh? But you didn't. And the other side, you guys screwed this up. What? Whoa, how are you going to go? Uh, do better going forward. You didn't get that. It was the usual careful political BS. There was some truth. There was some dodging. There was a plenty of lying. And it was completely unsatisfying, unless you're a simpleton who knows nothing about politics and you got kind of a very brief thumbnail sketch of what each side is going for. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. That is what led us to Trump, uh, a growing understanding among the American people that this is not serving us. This is serving the powerful, or meaning the powerful who fund the campaigns and own congressmen and senators, and or it's it's uh, serving the politicians themselves, who who uniformly get crazy wealthy in D.C. It's uh, a failure of the media. Well, there's so many of them, but uh, the failure to observe because they're so biased. Yeah, Donald J. got rich developing real estate. 
And like every developer I've ever known, he had ups, he had downs, he had more ups, the rest of it. His finances are complicated, but yeah, he made a hell of a lot of money doing that. Explain to me, friends, in the brave and all-seeing American media, how do these public servants get so stinking rich? And don't just say, well, book deals and speaking engagements. Whoa, 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 whoa. I saw Amy Coney Barrett did a lot of speaking engagements. One of the top law professors uh, and, and judges in the country. I mean, such a shining light of legal thinking that she got nominated to the Supreme Court and nobody's even claiming she wouldn't be great at it. She's that impressive. She's getting like three grand for a big old speech. Travels across the country. She gets $3,000, $2,500, $3,000. Explain to me why somebody's getting six hundred and fifty grand to do 45 minutes after lunch. Is that just because? I mean, and Because the speech is very entertaining. Oh, and people will come from miles around to hear it. Really? Really? You couldn't get that for two hundred and fifty k, Or is it uh, you're making a gigantic gigantic contribution to their uh, their foundation for instance and uh, and and they're so grateful their uh, dad the sitting vice president might do you a kindness uh, let's let's dig into that but nobody does Joe's, public servant my ass i hate that term Joe's gonna, and, and 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 pinch pence threw it around as much as kamala did joe claims there are exciting clips from the debate last night and we'll have one of those coming up uh, right after this Joe's going to pick the good ones <laughs> We need to tell you about CarShield because this is the way people are doing protection for their car now. And I hope you're, you're catching on to it. CarShield has helped over a million drivers. America's number one auto protection company. This is the way you do it now. Don't, don't be, don't, don't be stuck in the past. Like people are watching, you know, the TV on cable instead of on their phone. No, oh, this is the new way to protect your car. So when the check engine light comes on, you think, huh, I'm covered with CarShield. No big deal. It's kind of a joke. How do you know when you're, uh, your warranty ends, your bumper-to-bumper warranty. It's the day before your car breaks down. That's a joke, but it's not a very funny one. If your car is heading toward being out of warranty and you just don't want that giant crippling car repair bill, CarShield is the one for you, helping over 1 million drivers, America's number one auto protection company. Get the facts at carshield.com. Use the code Armstrong to save 10%. That's carshield.com. Use the code Armstrong. They have all sorts of different plans, and you can quit anytime. No long-term contracts or commitments. Carshield.com, code Armstrong. All right. So you've challenged me to come up with an exciting (laughs) quote, sir. That's probably unfair. Uh, Oh, no. I watched the entire stinking thing last night. Um, Oh, I I like this one. I probably took in 20 minutes, although it was 90 minutes long. I have one... That was good and cool, and one that will annoy the bejesus out of you. All right. Clip 33, please enjoy this. The vice president. Well, the American people have demonstrated over the last eight months that when given the facts, they're willing to put the health of their families and their neighbors and people they don't even know first. President Trump and I have great confidence in in the American people and, and their ability to take that information and put it into practice. The difference here is President Trump and I trust the American people to make choices in the best interest of their health. Uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris consistently talk about mandates, and not, not just mandates with the coronavirus, but a government takeover of health care, Thank you. Thank the you, Green President New President. Deal, all government control. We're about freedom and respect. And something that got cut off, uh, but that's good. Meanwhile, uh, Kamala Harris uh, responding to the president saying, listen, we need to keep calm. 
Uh, here she is in uh, clip 30. Well, let's get so I, no, but Susan, I, this is important. Susan, I, I, and I, I want to add, but if, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have to I'm speaking. Yeah, you so can have 15 I, I, I more wanna, seconds, and then we'll give the vice president a chance to So respond. I want to ask the American people, how calm were you when you were panicked about where you're going to get your next roll of toilet paper? How calm were you when your kids were sent home from school and you didn't know when they could go back? How calm Thank were you, you Thank when you, your Senator children Harris. couldn't see your parents because you were afraid they could kill them? Uh, yeah, well, all that was related to unnecessarily harsh shutdowns and not the vid itself. So what you're suggesting there, Kamala, is that the president should have done a better job of keeping everybody more calm uh, as opposed to the opposite. So that was a non-answer. But she sounded adamant. And there's a pretty significant chunk of the population that if somebody's using this tone, you just assume they're right and you go with them because they seem more agitated than the other person. And that's why you want to rock the vote and get as many stupid people to uh, vote as possible. I didn't get to go to school, and that little girl was me. There was a great tweet. I thought I retweeted it, but I can't find it now. Uh, The whole keep calm thing. What kind of a monster would tell their people to keep calm other than Jesus Christ and Churchill (laughs) and Lincoln? and, And they go through all the great leaders of history. Oh, FDR? Who all said, what's important is we keep calm. Yeah, but Trump's a monster. Um, okay. Uh, uh, Robbie Suave, who we like from Reason, uh, tweeted last night, this debate is like something out of another era, which it did feel that way, and that era was like five years ago. But this debate is like something out of another era. Perhaps the best evidence yet that if Trump exits the stage, politics will go back to something like it was before. Maybe. You know, I've been saying all along, I don't think we're going back, but Maybe. Well, maybe it'll go right back to like the debate last night and everybody will talk like this and not answer questions, which well, I, I guess gonna, we liked better. You made the excellent point that uh, that sort of phony crap yielded Trump. Can we go somewhere halfway between? Yeah. Or even a third of the way back? Maybe a little more civility, a little more strategy on my side, please. Um, but not the phony baloney serving themselves crap. Uh, a couple things for you. Um, is social media going too far in censoring? A, a liberal thinks so, Matt Taibbi of Rolling Stone. Also, people who use jargon, it's a way to cover up the fact that they don't know much, according to studies. I know. <laughs> That's really interesting. All that on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. My name is John Brown, and I am here to defeat slavery. They say I am insane. John Brown weren't normal, but I was going to stick by the captain, same as he always stuck by me. Crazy as he may be. I ain't never been shot at till I met you. Truth be told, I ain't seen a person murdered till I met you. I would stay off that subject entirely. That sounds looks fantastic. It's it's a mini series on abolitionist John Brown uh, oh. with Ethan Hawke as the lead, and it's supposed to be 
pretty damn good, according to reviewers. Frederick Douglass' character also in this story. I, I've heard nothing but amazing things about this. Yeah. Is it historically accurate? Yeah, I hate... I, or is it just woke nonsense? And I only ask that, not that I know anything about this project, but that several things I've seen lately are. Right. The uh, the stuff I've seen, I hate when they do this about historical uh, uh, historic movies. When they say, it's uh, very inaccurate. And then the examples they give are... Things you had to bend. To he just... didn't meet her until after oh, right. the uh, the battle at the well. It changes you know? okay, nothing. Fine. It just made it easier for the movie. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's I've seen those kind of complaints about it. I haven't seen any uh, political leanings complaints about it. So the the trail... the story itself of John Brown is freaking fascinating. The trailer itself has all of this is true. Most of this happened. So it seems like they are trying to be historically accurate with maybe some of those yeah. uh, story yeah. smoothing kind yeah. of short, which I don't have sure. a problem with. Sure. If, if yeah. the uh, you know if if it, it if overall it, the point is true, but anyway, the the reason you know I bring that up is because in in I think you'd agree the great book to read on this is arguing about slavery that explains you know decades and decades and decades of America trying to end slavery. Um, lots and lots and lots of white people trying desperately to end it, and the uh, the the uncomfortable balances and alliances between radicals and moderates and and the religious uh, the uh, the core of anti slavery and this it's so interesting yeah, that I'd... if it's one of those white man the devil black people good dramatizations that I've seen recently it just does such a disservice to history yeah I read an interesting quote the other day from Lincoln about John Brown because he had a similar thing with John Brown like Biden has with Black Lives Matter um where you know there's 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 a pl- plenty of agreement on some of the sentiment but the person you're dealing with is a nut job and violent mm-hmm. and you don't want to turn everybody off but you know it's it's a similar sort of situation right. Uh, anyway, sounds good though. And what's the title of this? Uh, uh, the Good Lord Bird is the name of the show, and it is oh, on Showtime. That's a, an intriguing title, I and uh, I don't get confusing. Sh- I don't think I get Showtime, but it's quite possible I've been paying. I'm, I'm going to start a subscription to watch. I this. might be paying for it for the last ten years and don't know it. There's a good chance of that. If that's true, uh, let me get your password. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Help a brother out. (laughs) Tim Sandifer tweeted this, and I came across, I thought it was interesting. Studies that show jargon is not a sign of expertise, no matter what industry you're talking about. Let's unpack that. It's a signal of insecurity. Nine studies show that when people lack status, they resort to unnecessary technical language in an attempt to look smart. When they have status, they're more concerned with communicating clearly. I think I realized that at age nine. (laughs) <laughs> I don't recall what I ran into, but there was somebody spouting the jargon of their industry. And I thought, you're just showing off that in your job you got words that mean stuff. That's funny. I don't I don't know that I ever put those things together, but I, I, I did recognize from a very young age, nobody has any idea what you're talking about. It's always driven me crazy when I know somebody is speaking to a group of people that have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Those terms don't mean anything to your crowd. Right. And Why are you doing this? Now we know it's to make them uh, overcome the fact that they don't know that much. Well, and there's two sorts of dimwitted. There's the, uh, it, it elevates their ego, so they use the jargon because I know something you don't know. And then there's the sort of people who don't even recognize that it's jargon because maybe they've been using it so long. And you can almost forgive that. I'll always remember when my, bro- my brother went into the Army straight out of high school. And uh, first time he was home, I think, I don't know, early on, 
Um, I was at the house too, and uh, and he and uh, and this other guy for the army were traveling, going somewhere. Anyway, so this other dude was there with my brother, and he every other word was an acronym, a military acronym, and I thought nobody has any idea what you're talking about. Do you think we know what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, and maybe it was mm. this. I don't know. Uh, that was the first time I could ever come across it at that level. The military or cops can do it at a very high level. Yes. Yeah. Cops are infamous for that. <laughs> The particular individual. Um, I don't know country artist Morgan Wallen, and I listen there are too to too many musicians. I listen to country music regularly. Oh, he sings whiskey glasses. Okay, cool. Um, so too do, many songs about whiskey. There are a lot. <laughs> I know it. Oh my god, it's a we, fine beverage. We listen to country music, and it's all about the joys of whiskey. So, as a recent convert to uh, bourbon, I, I feel the need to write yet another one. But there's no need for it, Lord knows. How am I going to keep my kids off the whiskey if all the music they hear is uh, how great whiskey is? But anyway, uh, this guy was supposed to be the musical guest on Saturday Night Live, which is quite a change from Megan Thee Stallion I'd to say. this uh, pop country guy. But he got caught partying on TikTok without a mask after like a, a big football game. He was out, oh, with, the, shut out up. with the girls and partying stuff like that, so they're not going to have him perform. Oh, shut up. He's young and healthy. He'll be fine. Oh, this is just tiring my hiney out. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Pour me, pour me another drink. Cause I don't want to feel a thing no more, hell no. I just want to sip till the pain wears off. So this is the dude that was going to be the musical guest on Saturday Night Live, but they canceled him because a TikTok video came out of him partying without a mask on with people. Yeah. I wonder if that's going to become a thing across the country where, you know, I saw a picture on Facebook. You're at a backyard barbecue Saturday. No masks. Cancel. Forget it. You're not coming to work. Right. What's his name? Canceled. Canceled. Morgan Wallen. Speaking about the joys of whiskey, which I'm not sure helps America. Uh, so the big news today is the debate is that commission uh, necessary for pop music. <laughs> <laughs> the debate commission announced the last night's debate doesn't matter, but next week's debate, which won't matter, could possibly matter because it's the actual presidential. Last candidates. night's debate, Jack, was the dog that didn't bark. What? So it matters deeply. Okay. And it's not mattering. Um, uh, but Biden-Trump, uh, the debate commission said, yeah, we're going to do a virtual debate because you got the COVID and might still have it. We're going to do a virtual debate, which I'm not exactly sure what they mean, but this was Trump's response. And uh, But I'm not going to so, do a virtual debate. So, you're not, so Mr. President, you're not going to do it because the CPD, the Commission on Presidential Debates, announcing this morning uh, that the second presidential debate will be virtual. Are you saying you're not going to participate? No, I'm not going to waste my time on a virtual debate. That's not what debating's all about. You sit behind a computer and do a debate. It's ridiculous. And then they cut you off whenever they want. I don't know what uh, a virtual debate would look like. I have no idea what they're what they're picturing. But anyway, he says no, he's not going to do it. I think he ought to. But I think he ought to, too. Well, one, me. a couple of reasons. One, uh, you need to change the game big time because you're behind. And what events are going to change if not a debate? And I don't think the debate will change much, but... At least it gives you an opportunity. Well, it could. Yeah, at least you have a chance. The kind of just campaigning isn't going to change anything. No. 
Um, and I also think letting Biden talk, let him talk. Let him sit alone in a room and ramble on like an old man about how uh, he's not going to tell you whether or not he's going to pack the court or how he's going to make masks mandatory across the country or whatever it is. I said, hey, Esther. Let him say something crazy like that. Uh, the president is much better at phrases than paragraphs. It's just true. And I wish you were better at paragraphs. And I think part of his uh, hesitancy is that in the debate format, is it, it seems so far it would be big chunk answered by big chunk. And he's just much better at the give and take. Could be. Well, he's definitely, that's definitely true. Um, Matt Taibbi out with a new piece. Um, I don't always agree with everything he's got to say, but I really like his uh, his style. And uh, he is a over the age of 50 liberal, which seems to be a thing now. Has a different point of view Clearly. than the younger liberals. Yeah. Anyway, he's uh, writing today. He's concerned about the news yesterday when Facebook announced that it's going to pull QAnon stuff off of its platform. And he's concerned uh, that the big tech platforms are going too far with censorship. And I'll just read a little bit from his piece today. For all this, the Q ban pulls the curtain back on one of the more bizarre developments of the Trump era. The seeming about face of old school liberals who were once the country's most faithful protectors of speech rights. Bring up bans of QAnon or figures like Alex Jones. He gives some other examples. And you'll likely hear that the First Amendment rights of companies like Facebook and Google are paramount. We're frequently reminded there's no constitutional issue when private firms decide they don't want to profit off the circulation of hateful, dangerous, and possibly libelous conspiracy theories. Fair enough. That argument is easy to understand, but it misses the complex new reality of speech in the Internet era. It is true that the First Amendment only regulates government bans. However, what do we call a situation when the overwhelming majority of news content is distributed across a handful of tech platforms And those platforms are openly partners with the federal government and law enforcement in particular. In my mind, the argument became more complicated in 2017 when the Senate Intelligence Committee dragged Facebook, Twitter, and Google to the Hill and essentially ordered them to come up with a mission statement explaining how they would prevent the fomenting of discord. Wow, is that straight out of Beijing? Yeah, no kidding. Yikes! Disharmony in society. Platforms that previously rejected the idea that they were editing and in the editing business. We're a tech company, not a media company, said Mark Zuckerberg just a year before in 2016 after a meeting with the Pope. Soon we're agreeing to start working together with Congress, law enforcement, and government-affiliated groups like the Atlantic Council. And they pledge to target foreign interference, discord, and other problems. He puts discord in quotes. Their decision might have been accelerated by a series of threats to increase regulation and taxation on the platforms. With uh, Uh, Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever the reason for the about face, the tech companies now work with the FBI in what the Bureau calls private sector partnerships, which involve strategic engagement, including threat indicator sharing. Does any of this make private bans of content a First Amendment issue? The answer I usually get from lawyers is probably not. But it's not clear cut, and he goes on to explain that in uh, long detail, as his pieces are always long. Uh, yeah, but you can but see also, where the problem lies. So clearly written. I mean, that's that's a great explanation. The one thing he left out, perhaps he gets to it a little bit later on, is these same tech companies that control a vast amount of the news information that's taken in, in the U.S. are also bribing government officials with millions and millions and mil- hundreds of millions of, of dollars of campaign contributions and political action committees and the rest of it. So as they are bribing the government officials for 
policy that is favorable to them, the government officials are then coming to them and saying, uh, coming to the tech companies and saying, hey, look, uh, you can do us a favor, too. Uh, how about you crack down on this, that, and the other? And and as these companies, and we've seen it, private companies, are, especially now in the, the era of gigantic federal government, private companies rise and fall. They uh, profit or they suffer based on the whims of government policy. And so that government official comes to them and says, hey, you can do us a favor, too. Crack down on this, that, and the other. And it doesn't matter if Mark Zuckerberg or, or, or Google or whatever finds it somewhat um, sickening what they're being asked to do. they got to do it. And uh, so, yeah, they become effectively the censorship arm of the government. That's a great point by Taibbi. Right. And well, and the fact that they changed their tune after the threat of you know higher taxation that would have really damaged their whole model is a, a, little, huh. a, little, a little bothersome. You think? And, you know, the term, it's it's amazing how willingly we all, and I've seen it on all political sides, we're all willing to go along with censorship when it's censoring the other side that we don't like. That was a point I was just about to we make. We so yep. quickly go along with, well, Trump is evil and QAnon, you know, banning that is okay. All right, they're letting the government tell them what uh, what is okay and what is not to print. Right. That doesn't bother you? Yeah. Because what's the next thing? Yeah. Uh, uh, Tea Party, Tea Party is a dangerous group, probably uh, in bed with Russia. So better not really? let their uh, stuff be on there. I'll read a little more here. One another paragraph from Matt Tybee. The biggest long-term danger in all this is always centered on the unique situation of media distribution now being concentrated in the hands of such a relatively small number of companies. Instead of breaking up these oligopolies or finding more transparent ways of dealing with speech issues, there exists now a temptation for governments to leave the power in these opaque behemoth companies intact and appropriate their influence for their own sake. So the so originally, you know, the argument was, is it okay to have them have this much power in a couple of companies? Now, Matt Tybee's saying the government's decided, no, I like it being in the hands of just a couple, three people exactly. that we can threaten and make them go along with whatever our rules are for can control sowing them. discord, whatever right. that means. Yeah, exactly. So you can't be cynical enough, and you must study history. I know you're busy. you got stuff to do. Here's why. Every, both sides always will claim that what the, the power they want to exercise is for good. I mean, it's, it's so oversimplified. You think, yeah, we know, dum-dum. But n- notice it. It's always uh, keeping a discord out or harmony in society or rooting out hate speech or the rest of it. The entire, virtually the entire history of censorship in the 20th century came from the right. It came from conservative America, and some of it is outrageous. You ought to read about it. It's worth it. The arbitrariness of it, the incredible power to censor in very, very few hands. Go to the, uh, what's it called in Seattle, that uh, Jimi Hendrix Experience rock and roll thing they got there, which the I actually... Museum of Popular Culture or whatever it is. Which I actually liked better than the Rock and Roll Museum in Cleveland. But anyway, they've got the entire layout of when the government was going after the song Louie Louie. Yes. That is hilarious. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Well, nobody knew what the words were, and they were afraid it was some sort of message from communists to young people to do drugs or something. And they've got all the, like, FBI actual, you know, uh, the memos. Letters back then, memos and letters, on this topic, and it's hilarious. Yeah. Judy and I actually, we uh, were there when they had a giant display on uh, comic books and comic book heroes and stuff like that. Neither one of us is really into it, but I was reminded of, especially in the 19... 40s and then 50s, how it was thought that comic books were ruining America's youth 
because they were reading comic books instead of, uh, you know, serious literature and the rest of that. And there was a giant government-led crackdown on comic books. How crazy does that seem now? It was like, uh, you know, the ratings for motion pictures, they they tried to get comic books out of kids' hands. But it's in earlier in the 20th century, I won't bore you to death with this, but there there was a guy in Boston whose name I don't recall, but he was the incredibly powerful arbiter of what could be sold and published in Boston. And he uh, was well-connected. There was a lot of respect, the rest of it. And he be- became, this one guy, the de facto censor for the United States of America. If it was banned in Boston, perhaps a phrase you've heard before, and that's this is where it comes from, it could not be published and put on the shelves of American bookstores or libraries, coast to coast, and it was all conservative um, uh, censorship. And I think some of it was, was uh, fairly justified, but like all censorship, and Taibbi makes this point, like all censorship, it always goes too far. But... Here's my ultimate point. This is why we have this incredible gift from the founding fathers and the gods of the Constitution. We don't care how pure your motives are. We don't care how honorable you are. We don't care how insidious you find the other side. You don't get to go beyond the Constitution because it's not about goodness and and light and caring and eliminating hate. It's about power. And the power was on the right in the 20th century. They went way too far in censorship. Now the power seems to be on the left. And they're going to go way too far in this in censorship. Don't even listen to the, we need safe spaces. That's not free speech. That's hate speech. I don't feel safe on, don't even listen to that. You don't get to censor. Let me read that first paragraph again because it's so good. For all this, the Cuban pulls the curtain back on one of the more bizarre developments of the Trump era, the seeming about face of old school liberals who were once the country's most faithful protectors of speech rights. Same yep. could be said for journalism, you yep. know, for good, honest journalism. That used to be a thing that uh, lefties cared about, but they threw it out with Trump. The rules don't apply anymore. We need to do whatever we've got to do to get him out. Well, you know, once you start down that road, things get really ugly really fast. Yep. Once you give up your honor, you can't get it back. And now the cadres of Maoist radicals in America's newsrooms that might makes right. The ends justify the means. Your old school Matt Taibbi principles are in the way of the resistance. Okay. I suggest, folks, you resist the resistance if you want to hang on to your constitutional rights. Got a good call from a baseball game last night. Um... Got something on the Kennedy-Nixon debates that I didn't know, and I've read about this more than the average person. It's kind of interesting. Maybe we could play another highlight. Joe claims there's highlights from last night. So I don't know. I heard something about Nixon that I want to bounce off of you um, about the, his final days in the White House. I think we're the perfect panel to adjudicate right. this question. All right. I love that stuff. All right. Um, uh, yeah, well, we'll throw in another clip from uh, Harris Pence from last night. Unfortunately, it's radio, so you can't see the fly on his head, but uh, we'll... Uh, it's a fly. I think you're familiar with the uh, you can the picture. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. black wings. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. When I look at their plan that talks about advancing testing, creating new PPE, developing a vaccine, 
Um, it looks a little bit like plagiarism, which is something Joe Biden knows a little bit about. And I think the American people know that this is a president who has put the Thank health of America president. first. And the American people, I believe with my heart, can be Thank proud of the sacrifices yes. they have made. It's saved Thank countless you, American yes. lives. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. Are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864. Well, I'd like you to answer the question. No, Mr. Yes, Vice she, President, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. Oh, boy. And then she didn't answer whether or not they want to pack the Supreme Court? No, she went back 150, 60 years to when Honest Abe was a few weeks before election and said, no, I'm not going to appoint anybody. Which I came across a couple of historians who pointed out that that's, in in essence, a lie, and that the reason he didn't appoint anybody is the court was not in session. And as soon as the court was in session that day, he appointed somebody, and they were uh, uh, confirmed. One of quite a few untruths told last night. But anyway, whatever. That debate is not going to do anything to anybody. Kamala's a lying liar. uh, Pence and Trump need to regularly explain what packing the court means. Right. So people understand what the hell it means. What's the filibuster? Why does it matter? You, You can't overestimate the the savvy of the american people that was an historic debate if you're ever in a history class where they're studying that i would get a different history class. i would drop but, it yes. uh, this this the kennedy nixon debate was an historic debate it was the first televised debate and i have read so much about kennedy and nixon and that era and their presidencies and stuff like that i couldn't have told you for a million dollars that they debated four times I didn't know that either. I thought they had that one big debate, and that was all the, the hubbub. No, they huh. debated four times. And the reason that's important today is that the third debate, which was the second most watched of the four, was, in a, in essence, a virtual debate. And uh, Nixon was in Los Angeles, Kennedy was in New York, and it was split screen, not because of COVID or anything. It's because of the just realities of traveling back in the day in the campaign. And they thought, well, there's no reason for us to be in the same room, right. which there's not. Uh, and uh, we'll do split screen, which screen, which gets to today when the commission has announced they want to do virtual debate for the next debate. And Trump has announced, I'm not going to do it, mm. at least as of right now. Right. I, had no I, idea. I did not know that either. Split screen. That was a pretty solid technical achievement back then that they pulled it off and yeah. it all worked. But so I was listening to a, a uh, an historian uh, talking about presidents who were out of commission secretly. They'd kept details of their health secret and they went with the uh, some of the, the better known ones. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, devastating stroke, other health problems. He was incoherent for the last 17 months. Of his presidency. His wife ran the, the country. The great racist hero of the Democratic Party. Another great uh, racist hero of the Democratic Party, FDR, who was uh, debilitated for a very long time um, and, and didn't let anybody know it. Although and, that was all physical and about how people would react as opposed to Woodrow Wilson's brain was gone. Well, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Although, that, that, you should know that. FDR was in terrible shape shortly after he was uh, elected for the fourth time and nobody knew it till he croaked on a, on a trip. Uh, but at any rate, they also mentioned Grover Cleveland, who had a tumor removed from his mouth on a boat so nobody would know what was oh, going right, on. Right, he right. was uh, 
put under for a while. But then the last example he gave was in the final weeks of his administration, Richard Nixon, under fire, had succumbed increasingly to paranoia and was drinking heavily. That's what they say. They said, I thought you and I were the perfect panel to discuss how heavily is heavily. <laughs> I mean, because Nixon was a, he was a polished shoe, um, serious man. Mm-hmm. You know, he's portrayed as a clown, and, and he definitely cracked up, and, and he was he, he had a couple of personality quirks that led him down the way down roads farther than he should have gone, obviously. But was he like having a couple of cocktails a night, or was he walking around the, uh, the White House pantless and puking and, and trying to kiss people? How drunk was he? Well, he was doing that whole getting on your knees and praying with Kissinger stuff. Right. Uh, so he, he seems to be, from everything I've read, one of those people, and I've known a few people like this, just can't physically handle booze. Like okay. two drinks and they're just, ah. I've known yeah. people like that. Right. And he seemed to be one of those. Okay. And he was doing the couple drinks and being just, ah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm As saying, opposed to, look, like, you know, you're drinking for six hours and... I'll be in the residence. If there's a war or something, let me know. <laughs> but if it's someone that the steel industry says, sir, no, 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 no. I'm getting my buzz on for Unemployment numbers just came out. Whatever. Will they be here tomorrow? <laughs> Will they? That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Go. 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 Armstrong and Getty.